Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. When I started this conversation with Samir Alihadzik, I said, I think the story for this one will be Samir versus change. And it's a race. And he kind of laughed. He said, that sounds about right, as you'll soon hear. But right now, he is a data scientist working for travelers, leading a team that's doing some extraordinary analytical work, along with other aspects of how you manage with data. When he was my student back in the day, he was a sophomore at that time. He had his family had come from Bosnia, and you'll hear about that. And I don't know if he was that certain how he wanted to move ahead, except as you'll hear, he wanted to be sure that he made progress in his life and honored the efforts that his family made when they migrated here from Bosnia, all the sacrifices and hard work. Well, it's come through and he's come through and he has been having that foot race with change now entering into this extraordinarily fast-changing realm of data, using data in all kinds of company uh, actions, interactions. He's very confident, and I'm very proud to introduce you to Samir. Well, folks, this, this is, uh, you know, my, my not-so-guilty pleasure is to reconnect with former students as long as they remember who I am, I'm I'm in good shape for finding former students who want to talk with me for the podcast. And um, Samir Ali Hadzik, close, yeah, yeah, spot on, <laughs> was a student of mine uh, quite a few years ago, and we'll talk about that. But uh, what I'm excited about in particular is that he's working at one of my favorite com- companies, Travelers now, and he is uh, a team lead for a a group that works on data and analytics uh, for a company that essentially eats data data for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you, are you working with uh, Rob Hawkinson? No. So our, our org rolls up through um, mono and my direct, I mean, our value stream lead is Slobo. uh, So we, we, it's a newer org. You know, I've only been at Travelers a year and a half. Uh, yeah. Definitely more data and analytics experience prior to that. But um, from what I've heard, it's a newer org, about three, four years old, and it's a shared service for the enterprise. I got it. I got it. You see, folks, how the language, this is language that data guys speak. And of course, I'm pretending <laughs> I understand everything he said. It's just that Rob Huckinson had been a student of mine some years back and has stayed at Travelers, and he's a team lead for, I believe, uh, one of the analytics groups that maybe serves a particular line of business. But uh, I I, uh, have many reasons to uh, be happy that I spent 30 years at at CCSU, and uh, particularly that I formed a relationship with the university, with travelers, and it created a lot of very uh, good opportunities. Uh, But it wasn't just the only reason that people found travelers from my school. It's it's just we have the right school, I think, for a company that is in a state of constant change. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about, Samir. I had a little note that I made to myself. thought we could tell a story. Change versus Samir. 
So, I like it. So I want to take you back to when you were in my class and sitting there. I think you used to sit in the back row, maybe because I put you on a team alphabetically. And, <laughs> uh, and you were very engaged. Uh, but I think back then uh, I had one big lesson that I taught over and over again, no matter what the course was, and that change is happening and it's going to put you in a race uh, and you'd never want to lose. Do you remember something like that back then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, of all the classes I had at CCSU, uh, those first few years before I transferred to UConn, mm -hmm. your class was the most um, easy to relate to real life, which I appreciated. You know, it wasn't this um, concepts in the perfect world. It was more about applying the knowledge to actual day-to-day and, you know, long-term goals, short-term goals, and, and how, how to manage them and how to succeed with them. Yeah, good. Now I'm going to give you that grade that I held back until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> you get an A. Now you came, uh, talk about change uh, in your life. You, you came to the States from Bosnia, and Bosnia back then was not a very happy place to be. Um, do you remember, just talk a bit about that life change you went through before you settled into uh starting your your bachelor's degree with us yeah i mean those initial you know uh 12 13 years before i even got to college were uh unique to say the least so my parents and i we came here in uh late 1999 mm -hmm. so the war was finished we actually applied for u.s citizenship four times and on the fourth time it got accepted so wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, my, my parents and i um we moved here and it was, I mean, you know, you, some of, some of my, uh, my desire, ambition, and some of that fire, you know, that's that you need day to day to keep mm -hmm. yourself sharp. It all stems from just watching my parents, you know, try to build a life in America. Um, and some of the struggle we went through with that, you know, you come in, uh, grateful for the opportunity to be a U.S. citizen, but you don't come into, you know, a perfect climate. You know, we're, we were put in uh, the north end of Hartford. My parents knew no English. You know, we came here with five hundred dollars. Uh, wow. wow. And so they found jobs in, you know, uh, most mostly warehouses doing a lot of manual labor, 16, 20 hour shifts. You know, I would see my dad come home, sleep, pretty much take a nap and then go back out and work another 16, 20 hours. And that was for the first um, maybe three, four years. And, you know, the one great thing about being here is if you work hard, at some point, luck meets that hard work and you'll, you'll hit that next milestone. And that's what my parents were able to do. Um, you know, I was young. I was in elementary school, finishing up elementary school, and they slowly progressed. You know, they got their raises. We went from the north end to New Britain to the south end, and that was within the first seven, eight years. And then we moved to Weathersfield, which ended up being, you know, our pretty much our primary residence uh, up through the point that I was in college. Wonderful. What a, what a story. And, and while you were experiencing your parents working this hard and you were working hard in school, you had oh, learned, yeah. you, know, you came in with no, no English as well, right? And uh, you had to uh, learn English. What was your favorite way of learning English? Did you remember when you were a kid? 
Uh, watching TV, honestly. So <laughs> cable was uh, something that, you know, I, I, I used to love to watch TV as a kid and play video games. And that's how I would pick up on English. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't get me wrong. There were some very good teachers, especially in Hartford. There was one lady who was um, an ESL teacher. So English mm-hmm. is a second language. And she made sure that she stayed on top of us and that we were, you know, not just meeting expectations for where we should be that we were exceeding them and that we were getting through the lessons because she herself was an immigrant that had moved Uh and so i think it was a little personal for her that she wanted other people to you know be able to um get up to par with the language as soon as they could and so that and and tv tv was a big thing for me uh you know i was watching a lot of shows uh oddly enough like even stevens you know some of these shows as a kid spongebob uh oh no and- you didn't learn english from spongebob <laughs> squarepants yeah <laughs> so those are the uh first like when i think back those are some of the memories that come back you know is, is some of those cartoons and some of those shows when you were um thinking about ending high school you could have stopped at that point um, I'm sure by then you would develop some skills. Uh, yet you made a commitment to go on to college. You remember why you did that? Uh, honestly, it goes back to my parents. You know, a lot of my family had um, stopped after high school and got jobs. And, you know, mm-hmm. the goal was just to earn a living that made life manageable because we didn't really know too much about college. You know, this is 2011. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of my extended family members had gone to college. The rest just either didn't came here already had finished high school in Europe. So just started working or they were younger than me. So it wasn't really a precedent for it. And for me, it was about just finding a way to have a better life for myself, for future generations and for my parents. And, you know, just being able to actually enjoy it uh, versus some of the struggles that they had when we were, when we were first, uh, when we first came to the United States. So a lot of it was the driver was just wanted to continue to seize the opportunity like my parents did. You know, something my uh, my father always said to me was every generation should do a little more than the last because the like goal that. is to have a little more opportunity than the last. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it was more mental that I've seen them work so hard. How could I just stop at high school? I have to give college a chance. Why did you pick GCSU? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, it was down close the street. enough. Yeah, <laughs> close enough. I was working full time while I was at CCSU. So. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, and it was. I mean, for those first two years, uh, you know, forty-hour work week, uh, full time in school, five classes a semester, and we're picking was picking up odd jobs, landscaping. Uh, construction when I could just to, you know, that had to, had to make money while I was in school. And that was just kind of the work-life balance that <laughs> I needed to make both manageable. I'm going to wear the, where the life part of that is all I heard is work, 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 <laughs> work, work. <laughs> and then you come into my class, an introductory course. You probably thought you could sail, sail right through it. What do I do? What I say, all right, you're going to be using the, the, internet constantly you're going to be reading constantly you're going to be writing constantly (laughs) and you know you still had a you know had to 
write in the best English you could put together. And <laughs> as many of my students who came with, with other languages, that was they were stunned how much, not only their writing, but it was going to be read by everyone else. Do you remember that? We had it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the forums. Where everyone had it in the forum. And, uh, but I knew that I was preparing you guys for the life you're living right now, which we'll get to where you do so much of your work through, uh, uh, very fast, quick thinking, writing and dressing questions quickly as they arise. All of that was in my mind. But you 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 came sometimes I could remember it was an early class. You'd come in and you had been working so much. And I would keep an eye on all my students because a lot of you guys worked and you sit there and as exciting as that class was, you know, none, <laughs> none better. I could see those eyes starting to go down, you know, <laughs> and your and the chins on the chest. Oh, yeah, uh, some long days. <laughs> <laughs> but you stuck with it. Now, I know now that uh, as I, I looked at your LinkedIn profile and there's certainly uh, we're in the race with change and you picked probably the the arena and the and the uh, practice domain that is most likely to be changing as we speak. That yeah. is that whole data world, that whole flow of uh, information data, which is coming through the fire hose. And, uh, and it needs to be understood. Uh, so not only did you pick something where the where the technology is constantly changing not in and how it brings it to you and how and how you can parse it and what software does but you also have the human aspect which is the so what and the people who need uh, to have communications from your team and you about what's going on for the company today over the last five minutes <laughs> so uh, talk a bit of how you put yourself into that role of uh, st studying uh, for becoming a data analyst. I think you were only with us a couple of years, then you went on to UConn. Uh, is that when you finally decided the major you wanted? Um, not exactly. Definitely in some ways, I think uh, for me, so, you know, I mentioned the precedent piece and I had one or two cousins who, by the time I was in college, had finished college mm -hmm. and they both had finished with computer um, science degrees. Mm. Um, and, you know, they went on to and they still are in the in the work world. One of them is at Aetna. The other one's at a uh, um, I think it's uh, like an engineering company now. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of who I looked up to and who I thought about, like, hey, they're doing well. I enjoy technology. And then I went on BLS.gov. So that's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I actually still remember that day like it was yesterday. A small kind of, you know, just a 10-minute exercise that pretty much set my course. So I went on there and I looked up kind of like job categories that will increase the most over the next 10 years. I like it. I like yeah, it. And information systems was, uh, you know, like 200% boom will happen over the next 10 years. So I'm like, well, you know, that's it. Like that's, that's what I'm going into. I like technology. I like business. Uh, I found this major, which at that point was still relatively new MIS. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it was a mix of, information systems, finance, marketing, and general business knowledge and, and owning a business and driving a business along with accounting. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was like, you know, well, this looks like a good blend. 
And mm-hmm. I was still, I had like one foot in there of like MIS is where I'm going, but this will give me a flavor of everything else in case I want to change to marketing or finance or accounting. Um, That's smart. Yeah. So I went forward with it. Uh, the transfer to UConn was just so after working full time for two years and going to school, uh, I went to my parents and I was like, look, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm maintaining a 3-2 GPA, 3-3, but I know I can do better. So I'm going to take a loan out for the next two years each year. I'm going to go to UConn and I'm just going to study full time. I, you know, it was so I took that chance. That, no, I got to tell you that. I remember you talking about that with me. And, and I thought that is one hell of a change that you that you brought on to yourself in a very good way. But that certainly wasn't what a lot of our students even contemplated, uh, both not working so you could really study and going to very demanding school, UConn, School of Business, very... Uh, you know, it's hard to get into and hard to stay into. Not that we were that easy, but UConn, you know, is a research one school and, and the faculty there have high, high expectations. Yeah, and I didn't get in. So I uh, I applied and they put me on the wait list, but they granted me uh, the transfer. So the main reason I went was, uh, you know, and, and my parents ended up saying, you know, we'll take out of our 401k. Oh. We don't want you to take loans and you pay us back. So they were very supportive. I just had to get them over that hurdle of like, what well, you're, you're, you're going to be moving. You'll be living there. No work. You know, it's a new concept to them just as much as it was to me. <laughs> so I had to, um, the advisors were like, you have to take these six classes. Then you may get in. You may not. That's right. So it was Don't, a shot. No guarantee. You know, no, and, no, no. I knew that very well about that school. That's the school I earned my PhD. And so I kind of kept in t- touch with that school. And, and when we had the EDGE program, as you might have heard of, we had a, a UConn version of it. And a lot of those kids in UConn wanted to get in that business school. They had to. Uh, and even with the edge, the Traveler's EDGE support, some of them didn't get in right away. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the advisors were like, you're taking these three classes of the six and they're some of the harder classes. We advise you to not do it, break it up into a year. But I couldn't waste a year's worth of money. Mm-mm. So it was either six months, make it happen or, you know, come back and work 40 hours and, and go to school full time. Yeah. Um, and that was all I needed was that alternative to keep me driven. And I think I was able to get like a three, eight, three, nine GPA got in. Uh, and then I was like, you know, so now, now kind of warm up the seat and get ready for the next two years. So it, um, it worked out in my favor, but there was definitely some, some question marks going into it. Yeah. So at the end of that, as so we're going to move you into your, your career during that last phase of, of your time at UConn, were you doing the job searching at that point? Yeah. So I, uh, I bring this up to my brother who's at UConn now and, uh, you know, for, I had two internships, luckily, before my uh, choice to go in. Uh, I was at the Harford's Leadership Development Program for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I probably, for those two internships and then the full-time role I got, I probably got rejected 42 times. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, just applying. I was applying left and right, throwing my resume everywhere and anywhere from manufacturing to engineering to um, insurance. I mean, I, you know, I think I got to like 10 different final round interviews and it all worked out because at the end, 
I had a choice between two leadership development programs. Uh, um, I went with the one that offered more rotations. Mm -hmm. uh, the pay was a little less, but it wasn't anything substantial enough. You know, like it's like, do I want to rotate three times and be a project manager each time? Or do I want to rotate six times and be able to apply so many different disciplines and then pick one? Now, and to I, have me, to that was the I have to jump in. You're racing with change, but change is losing. When, when you make those decisions to widen the scope so you can practice in various elements of a very complex business versus sticking with one, and particularly project management, which back then was the thing to do, as you remember. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's quite, uh, it's, it, it's, it's temporary in some ways, and you have to, one after another, whereas you have filled yourself out for a wider opportunity in the business world. So well, back to your story, rejected 40 sometimes, yet there you are. <laughs> Uh, how did, how did that turn out? Your, your six rotations? Uh, it went really well. So, I, you know, I met, worked at the Hartford and had, uh, an opportunity to be in their leadership development program. Anybody who's 21, 22 years old, leaving college, I always tell them a rotational program is the way to go mm. because you don't know, you know, you understand the industry, maybe you want to be in and the type of work, but the role itself. There's so many to choose from. If you have the opportunity to rotate, just, you know, take advantage of it. It's a, you meet some great people. Um, it's a leadership program. So they invest time and opportunities in you that I think, you know, a normal um, just base hire would not potentially get. And that was right. some of the other ROI there. You know, it's like they mm -hmm. give you a little more. They put a little more emphasis on you. Mm -hmm. So it went really well. I, I met some. So initially, I thought I was going to be a, like a hardcore coding um, IT guy. And I had some some sessions along the way, and I met some mentors. Uh, one mentor definitely sticks out. And he kind of challenged that. He's like, you know, you're really good. You're analytical, and you can code. But the good thing about what you can do is you can talk to very business savvy people who don't understand coding at all. Uh -huh. We have this new thing out there. It's called data. There's an enterprise data office. They need people. <laughs> <laughs> they need people who can talk both, to, you know, what is the value the data is adding back to the business? And then what kind of a SQL or Python process needs to be run to extract the data? Mm -hmm. So play that middle. You're, you're really good at playing that middle. And I kind of took that. I'm looking at all, t all these IT jobs being outsourced or automated oh, yeah. by different oh, yeah. you know, tools. And I'm yeah. like, let me go into data. It's new and yeah. the ocean's blue. <laughs> That's quotable. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's really cool to hear in your story. Oh, there's this new thing <laughs> called, called data. Uh, and this is a big company, uh, the Hartford. So they, they were on it. They're on top of the trends, I'm sure. And, and I think they're also in the process, like other the insurance company of converting a lot of their business, uh, changing manpower configurations and doing a lot of things to try to be sure that they could be in their race for change, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the first to come up with the best, uh, uh, proposals for the for the agents and the first to be superior on claims there's a lot of competition in in the property and casualty part of, of insurance and uh there you were being put up into the very what seemed to me at least the early start for where you are right now in the data world um 
speed speed me through this next part uh you're in it you're doing it mm -hmm. you're speaking the languages between the two cultures uh highs and lows over the next couple of years so some great highs were um had the opportunity to really own my work you know i had my direct boss uh you know my first role after the rotational program i i, I went by the old quote of pick your boss, not the job. I knew this boss was going to really just, you know, whatever you need to do, as long as it's part of our scope, you go and do it. So that was a big high. He was very supportive and he allowed me to just expand my knowledge and expand the role that I had. Um, some, I mean, you know, data doesn't come with challenges. So you're going to run into a lot of roadblocks and then you need to cut that data another 50 ways to figure out why doesn't it make sense. Mm. or or you know there's a data quality issue now you have to start from the get-go you know like yeah. let's say you had a data set you do an inner join to another data set and you lose 90 percent of that population you started with a hundred thousand rows you're down to ten thousand <laughs> you need to start over again there's you know it's either you need to clean that data up or there's a completely different way you need to go about it because you're not representing the right sample size mm -hmm. so those were some daily challenges. And then the fire drills, you know, we uh, managed a lot of the websites. And so that's digital tracking, uh, mm -hmm. all JavaScript based and digital analytics is an animal in itself. So, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of questions, how many people are seeing quotes, how many people are getting to that page? Why did our quote rate go down 10% this last week? And then you find out that there's a technical error that you know, wasn't known about it or didn't really go down. It went up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was, you know, it, and that, but that's when I learned, I enjoy challenges. You know, I don't like the same routine. So every day was a different uh, task. It was either getting reporting ready for leadership or it was diving in deep into an ad hoc investigation about, you know, a certain question, someone, my boss or one of his peers had, um, so the lows were just running into those data issues, data gaps. Sometimes you need other teams data and it'd be difficult to get it. So you have to kind of use the power of persuasion. Yeah. That's and just, people to people. There you go. Yeah. And uh, so that, you know, it's just kind of, it, it's a tough world. I mean, it's, but it's challenging in the right way. Uh, it keeps you interested. And it was so fairly new that there was no standard around. It. So you're creating the standard. I love that. Yeah. And so that was, you know, the first few years, um, had some great opportunities, was able to go up to the senior uh, role. Our, our org had gone through a change and we were now data scientists because of some of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so we went from data analytics to data science, um, opened up the floodgates for new tools. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we talk about data, you have the data ingestion, data wrangling, and then the data visualization. Those are kind of the three high level pieces that that feed each other. So we were doing a lot with data ingestion, automating that uh, data transformation. How do we refine the data? How do we derive value out of it? Put it into new dimensionality and then data visualization using tools like Tableau. We were trying to get away from the old Excel. Graph. Oh, my God. <laughs> Excel was king when you guys were in oh, school. Yeah. <laughs> and I still use it. You know, I, it's it's funny. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. You, old reliable, you know. You old reliable, yeah. I, have, well, we I never were... learned how to use it, but I, I admire that you did. <laughs> but I love the fact that the, this is where the, the 
they were writing checks for tools. You know, I can mm-hmm. remember that and talking with a couple of other folks and uh, Rupesh Pariuli and a couple of others uh, of our central students who went over to travel and they're in the data. But Rupesh, by the way, is doing cybersecurity. Uh, okay. It's a pretty important thing to be doing at oh, this yeah. point in time. That's a hot button item. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, you stayed at the Hartford, um, but you're not at the heart. What was the moment of change for you when you were? Uh, so I think this really was, um, so, you know, kind of what started in your class was a thirst for knowledge. So I would go online and just read articles. And some of the reason I worked so hard these first few years at Travelers was to get to that 10,000 hours mark. They say you really don't understand something until you've done it for 10,000 hours. Then you can call yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that was something that stuck out to me. So, I mean, I worked incredibly hard those first four years, but it was easier than going to school full time and going to work full time. I only had one job I had to do full time. So (laughs) I was putting in more than 40 hours, to say the least. And then around year four, um, reading articles talking about, you know, shifting companies, how that can propel a career, Um, you know, and I was getting to the point that I've been doing this for four years. Do I want to challenge myself in a new environment? Can I, can I be as successful in a new environment? Mm -hmm. Is that something I'm willing to risk? You know, I have a great job with a great company. Do I really want to risk it? Um, But you know, I've never been afraid of risk mm-hmm. as long as it's measurable and it's not too substantial. So I um, mm-hmm. had the opportunity to connect with some people at, at Travelers. They mentioned, you know, they're uh, looking to get their digital analytics maturity up. They mm-hmm. do a lot of data analytics aside from just digital. And um, when the opportunity presented itself, actually COVID had just started. So we were in a remote world and I was thinking, you know, well, this will be a remote job for a month and then I'll be in the office at Travelers. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped on it. Uh, you know, you I, know. Have, I, I want to put in something here for the, for the listeners. Some of you, may, all of you who are listening, went through the last two and a half years with COVID. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know, except that I do know from having uh, followed uh, Brittany Ernst, one of my former students, who finished her doctorate at University of North Carolina and came into the Travelers Leadership Development Program the same time you started there that March or or earlier, or maybe in January, never got to see a human being (laughs) face-to-face in over a year. And she was in the human relations, human resources side of things. So there you were, you know, at least you had rubbed elbows with people at the Hartford. Now you're (laughs) talking to people through a, a, you know, through a screen. How did that feel after? And, and you know, I'm sure you adapted. And there, there was another big change. Change was oh, racing yeah. ahead of you, saying, "Come on, Samir." <laughs> it was, uh, it was odd. You know, I, I can't put it any other way than it was. So when I first joined, I actually, so I think about a month or two ago was the first time I met majority of my team in person. Oh so my been, gosh! Yeah, I've been at Travelers for you know a year and a half now, a little over a year and a half. And two months ago was the first time I met everyone. So it <laughs> someone was, says, oh, you're taller than I thought you were. Or, or, <laughs> or you or you have something below your neck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a few times. It's like, oh, now I can put the face to the name. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was I mean, it was odd. You know, I at the Hartford, I worked from home maybe once in a while. So mm-hmm. I, I was used to in office. I love the idea of getting coffee. You know, you're, you're, you're stuck on something. Hey, let's go get a coffee. Let's go do a quick walk around the building. 
just casually running into people, you know, something I enjoy. Um, and then, so year and a half, a little bit of screen sharing, but it was very isolated. Definitely. I mean, mm. I, I loved my team. I loved the opportunities that I was getting even virtually. Uh, again, it was more picking my boss than the, the role because I could tell that they're more ocean blue and I enjoy that ocean blue kind of you pave your way and mm -hmm. you tell us if you need help along the way. Mm -hmm. And that, that I love that, you know, because setting, creating a standard for me is more fun than just trying to follow standards that have already been set. So it's, it was challenging at times, but it worked out really well. Um, you know, I think enough to the point that now, you know, I have the team lead role. So I'm managing a few different avenues of work. Uh, one of them still being digital analytics, but there's some other, you know, more operations and more market insight work involved there now. Um, so I'm glad to be back in person. We're actually doing like a uh, hybrid model now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'll go in a few times a week. I'll see. Um, it's great catching up with people. We go grab lunch together. I'm definitely a great team. So I, was it a risk at one point? Yes. Has the risk realized some reward? A hundred percent. So oh, that's wonderful to hear. You have coffee on the link. Oh yeah. yeah that's a, <laughs> I love just walking by there. Honestly. Isn't that fun with all those umbrellas over your head? Yeah. Yeah. Travelers is pretty big on that red, red umbrella that it, it means a lot to them. <laughs> but the times that I'd go down to visit our interns uh, through the edge program, uh, I would love, I, you know, the guests would come off that mezzanine elevator. So we invariably, in order to get to the offices to, or the conference rooms, we'd walk the link. And what, what I loved it. And, and I'm so glad that you're able to do it now. As I said this to Brittany, too, you're missing the link. The link is <laughs> it, you really feel the company's alive when you walk through it. You see people having coffee. People, uh, for, you know, some of my former students who work there, I'd be walking along, Doc, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, it was it was lively. And, you know, I used to work with eighth graders for the EDGE program to help uh, in, promising edge, eighth graders from the Britain schools. And they'd come every Saturday for about six Saturdays. And I say, look, how about thinking about insurance as your future? And then you imagine a 13 or 14 year old going, oh, yeah, <laughs> insurance. So we get them a little bit of taste of what it was. We took them down to Travelers. They had a chance to go up in the tower, you know, mm -hmm. and stand up there. So I still haven't done that. That's something. I gotta <laughs> no, yeah, you got to You got to be a VIP to do that or, or, in, <laughs> or in the eighth grade in, in an edge. Program. But the gist of it is what I'm telling you is that the life uh, of the of the company uh, is uh, is very important. And you're going to be I can predict now you've you're going to be part of the the next life of the travelers company. Uh, next week, by the way, because <laughs> that's how fast things change. Summarize for me what you're seeing in the way of change there. So that was the subject of our course when we first met. Things are gonna change constantly. You've got to manage to capture what's going on and put it in, in, a, in, a, in a position where it will do more good than harm. Uh, what, what's your sense of the dynamics of the job you're in right now for the company? Uh, it's It's, like you mentioned, it's ever changing. So I think a big thing has become centralized data sources. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing in these large companies that I think startups have an advantage on us on is there's not disparate data sources. Uh, because of the way things were created, 
you know, decades ago, you have data silos. Mm-hmm. And now all these big insurance companies are all facing the same problem. How do we break down all these different silos, consolidate our data into one master copy, and then act on it? Whereas the startups, they don't have that tech debt, mm-hmm. that legacy tech. They can just come in and start with that approach. Hey, we're going to create a schema that has one master copy and we grow on that. So I think that's where everyone is going is creating a data product, you know, something that's consumable by all. And you don't have to reach out 50 different to 50 different groups for 50 different flavors of a data set. Um, that's amazing. And so, and I think another big thing is third party data. So using consultants and other companies to understand trends in the industry and how, you know, whether it be the industry itself, competition, uh, other industries within, you know, the same uh, state, whatever it is, whatever kind of cuts you're doing, uh, using that to complement your internal data. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that's that's where everything is going. You know, we're getting away from the silo data. We're, we're mm-hmm. consolidating everything. Um, and then something that I've seen become a trend is more proactive analytics. So, you know, uh, the concept I've read about, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name, is Perishable Insight. Mm. We're at the point now where data is so real-time that if you can act on it in a real-time way, then you get more value than if you look at it in two days. Two so days? You, yeah. <laughs> so if you're, uh, you know, I'm on your website for, this is one example. I'm on your website and I'm getting a quote. I get to like the second step you send me a chat. I chat a little bit and then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call the call center. A lot of the time you call and you start from point blank again. You know, you're, a, you're Hey, my name is Samir. Yeah, you got to go through the whole story again. Yeah. What we're trying to, and one example of perishable insight is from the time that that person hung up to the time that we recognize they're the same person on the phone, sending that entire load of data, to the uh, representative so they know, hey, Samir, we know you called. You got to the second step a few minutes ago and looks like you got stuck on this page. How can we help you get past this page? You don't have to repeat those steps. We're going to streamline you to getting your quote. Oh, man, I'm a Travelers customer, by the way, and uh, <laughs> for home auto and, and liability. And I tell you, if that were... I don't want to have to experience it, but if I had to, that would be bliss compared to some of my other experiences. You know, I'm almost 80 and you know how we get, we get very impatient and a little bit confused Uh, and to have to go back through and retell the story, you know, and, and particularly you're talking about a claim, you're talking about someone who had an accident or their house roof fell in or whatever it is. You don't want to go over that again and again, but that is a great example, Shamir, of how your company is competitive. Um, yeah, it's an industry issue. You know, I know other folks in other areas who are trying to tap into the same kind of insight. It's but it's perishable. If you called, you know, if you look at someone's record in two days that did that, you can't do anything about it. They've already hung up. The the, the data's lost its value. Now it's just another count of how many people called. There's there's no value in some of the detail. Um, so you know, I, and this is something that's felt across the industry. I know people who are Accenture. I know people in other industries. 
that they're dealing with the same kind of thing. And we're not competing anymore with just insurance companies. You mm. have Amazon creating three-click shopping. That's you know, right. <laughs> check out, boom, and I bought the item. So now people remember that from like a digital perspective. People remember that. So when they go to your site, they've created this expectation that three-click shopping is the standard and that's the way they want to do business. So now you have to compete with that. You have to find a way to take your, you know, 45 steps and consolidate them down to as few steps, but still getting accurate information so that you can, you know, process it against your underwriting and risk engineering rules. It's, it's a tough dynamic. Oh man. I wish I could run, run this clock for a lot longer. So I'm learning so much <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are, and I'm, I guess I'm going to have to chase you down another time to learn more, but I would say in summary that, uh, you never quite fell asleep in my classes. I won't. I won't hang that <laughs> on you. And I don't think you've ever fallen fallen asleep since. And you're, in this sense, you are acutely aware of so much uh, you, that's going on within you, near you, and then up through this huge, vast ocean, <laughs> blue ocean, of change. Uh, man, you you're still with it. Uh, you're. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm going to promote you right now to a, a, <laughs> an EVP. How's that? I I love it. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to record this myself and send it to my. <laughs> it's going to happen one day if you wish. Uh, and and so I I will ring off this part. We'll talk a minute afterwards. But uh, if you have any final question or thought for me as before I uh, turn off the recording. Yeah, I think one one final thought and. Um, this is something that I've shared with other people, and I think it's really important, especially for younger people. Um, when I think about what is the key, and I think I learned that your class was a big influencer in this, was ambition and discipline. Those are two factors that mean more to me personally, in my opinion, than anything else. You know, I've met people who are a little... Uh, or not a little, a little or a lot smarter in terms of the concepts they know or some of the books they've read. Um, but it's hard for me to meet someone with more ambition. And I mean that in a very humble way in terms of, you know, some of my upbringing and just there's a fire, there's a fire for to continue getting better. You know, someone who's smart, if you're sitting on that knowledge, you're not getting better. You're, you know, mm -hmm. it's more of a, you're not acting on it. You got to act. You got to move. You got to work. You, you just have to always stay on top of yourself and not let yourself get too complacent. And that's where discipline and ambition meet. You know, continue to discipline yourself to learn, um, especially as you get more in the leadership level. Allow yourself to be challenged by people because you won't always have the best idea. And that's why a team is there is to help you figure out the best idea and then you guys grow on it so ambition discipline put those together i think you know if someone asked me what are the two things you do every day i always have ambition and i'm always try to keep myself disciplined so that i don't get too studying is one thing get the good grades but that's that's more of a in internal those are two big uh factors uh you know that i think resonate entirely that's fantastic. Great advice. And, and I'm, I'm going to take it seriously too. You know, I, I, 
I maintain my ambition to keep the world thinking by my little efforts of how important practice is, how important that action you talked about is for, for growth and learning, taking those actions. So, uh, but the discipline side, uh, I can't wait to return to golf next week when my course opens <laughs> up because this year I'm going to finally get that swing under control. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I'm fighting a battle myself. Still in the <laughs> upper 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks so much, uh, Shamir. This has been wonderful. Yeah, great to see you, Doc. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.